right, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you all. Um, I am especially grateful that Enoch would lead us in uh, Oh Holy Nights, one of my, it's probably my favorite Christmas song uh, of the season. And um, the lyrics actually speak um, to a lot to today's passage that we're going to get into. So if you've got your Bibles, I want to start with our, uh, our main passage that we're going to focus on today. And it's Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to focus on three verses, starting in verse 14, verses 14 to 16. And it says this, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is God's word. Let's pray. God, we thank you that, um, Lord, that we remember at this time of year that it's all representative of the fact that um, you love this world, you love your people, and you sent your son Jesus into this world um, to take on human form, to die on the cross, um, so that we could uh, have forgiveness of our sins, so that we could know you, the living God. And God, we thank you that in your just incredible grace and mercy, Lord, that you are so gracious with us, and Lord, that we can experience your forgiveness and experience relationship with you. And so, Lord, as we consider these words we just read this morning, Lord, I pray that we could see how, um, God, we can have your heart. We can live out um, the truth of what it means to um, be a light in a very dark world, um, to be a city on a hill that people can look at and see um, your glory and uh, that that could be life-changing for us. And so, Lord, I pray that as we consider these words today, that we would have open, open minds and open hearts to how you're leading us. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So in these passages we read, there are two central images that we're going to focus on today. Jesus says, you are the light of the world, and he also says, you are a city set on a hill. We're going to focus on those. What do those two images mean today? And so light is something we're drawn to. Um, If things are dark, we can't help but notice it. Um, In my room where my computer is, uh, one of the lamps burned out, and I've been very slow in replacing it. So a lot of times I'm sitting in front of the computer in the dark and with like the other light from across the room on. It's not ideal, but um, we have some idea of light and dark. And at this time of year, or at any time of year, when it's dark outside, it's you know, if we see some kind of beautiful light, it's something we can't help but notice, right? Um, the picture up here of a, maybe you've seen one of these, but um, if you go to uh, Almaden Lake in uh, um, August, they have the Lantern Water Festival. Um, this is not Almaden Lake. This is a picture taken from the internet, but I know many of us live over there or have attended that water festival. And there's something about lighting like a lantern and putting it on the water that just appears very beautiful, that people are drawn to. And a lot of people will attend this festival. This is obviously in a much bigger, like, kind of uh, waterfront city. Um, I don't know exactly where it is, but um, it's a beautiful picture. And, um, and so that gives us some understanding of, of how, like, light is something that we can't help but notice, right? And it's even more so at this time of year. And so if you go to the next slide... Um, Some people will spend time at this time of year making their houses kind of look like this, 
When I was a kid, I would, uh, my parents would put us, uh, my younger brothers and I in the car, and at nighttime, they would drive us around, and we would look at all the different Christmas lights, and I think, I think it was mainly because they didn't want our house to look like this. So if we could go and drive around and see other people's homes, then we would be satisfied not to like kind of push our parents towards like an extensive amount of, of Christmas decorating. Um, but at this time of year, you see lights everywhere. And sometimes neighborhoods seem, seemingly get into competitions about who has more lights or who could spend more money on decorations and things like that. But at the holiday season, decorations are a huge part of it. Look at the room right now. I mean, it looks pretty fantastic. And none of this was because of our church. This is all from the preschool who rents our space during the week, and they had a big holiday event this week. But the room looks great, right? And so the idea of lights that are very beautiful, it's, it's, I think it's actually extremely representative of the Christmas season. Um, because when we, if we think about what Christmas is really about, Jesus coming into this world, there's a verse in John, I don't have it up there, but in John chapter 1, verse 9, it says this, the true light was coming into the world. And what that means is, uh, in a world that's filled with darkness, I mean, you know, as part of the day physically when we go to sleep, but also in a metaphorical sense where we see so much darkness around us, seeing light that can give light and give a different perspective to our world is very important. And so um, this idea of Christmas lights, I think, is actually deeper than maybe just like, you know, decorating our houses. Um, physically, it's the darkest time of the year, physically, right? It's the shortest days of the year because in December, we have the least amount of daylight. And so it's nice when we see a bunch of lights on in the neighborhood instead of just driving around in darkness. Um, but more than that, um, in a holiday season that's often filled with lots of social gatherings or family gatherings, it can be a time where we're very much looking forward to it. But it can also be a time where if our relationships are not right, then perhaps it is hard for us to enjoy the holiday season the way, that, um, the way that it's meant to be. And that's where this idea of the light of the world that Jesus is talking about is very important. Um, the, second, uh, the second image that he uses in this passage is this, and it always reminds me of this. I've talked about this in sermons before, but last time we were on Zoom, so it's okay. But can someone tell me what that is? What is it? Hey, someone was paying attention last time I preached on this in 2020, early 2021, right? Does anyone remember the name? What is it? Mount Umanum or Umanum. I don't know the pronunciation. I know when I was preaching on Zoom where we were all stuck in our, in our homes and the last time I used this as a sermon illustration, Joshua actually got the spelling completely right in the Zoom chat when I asked everyone what this is. Um, but if you, if you were to look out this window at the right angle, you could see up in the hills kind of behind Almaden Valley, that's where this mountain is. And I cannot help but look at this at least once per day when I'm driving to basketball practice each day at, at, out in Almaden, right? And so, um, and for many years, this thing captured my attention because it, was, it used to be illegal to drive all the way up there because it is an abandoned uh, Air Force base, right? And now they've actually fixed it up and made it nice so you can go hiking up there and it's beautiful. And um, what it points me to these days now is uh, I, Right below it is um, Quicksilver, Almaden Quicksilver Park, where I do a lot of hiking. It's where I find the most peace with God, and I'll pop in a, a Tim Keller podcast, or I'll just walk around in silence and just reflect on the nature. And every time I drive and see that, I'm like, 
man, life has been so busy. I haven't been up there in a while. It would be good to get back there. But anyway, I say all this just to say the point is a light, the light of the world that Jesus is talking about or a city that is set on a hill, in this case, a box, you know, that we've called for many years, it's something we cannot help but notice. And as we've been going through our series regarding the triune God, we've talked about how um, God the Father loves us and accepts us unconditionally, how Jesus the Son is at the right hand of God, he's mediating for our forgiveness um, as uh, the one-time action of his death on the cross continues to help us experience his forgiveness when we fall short of his glory today. And that the Holy Spirit is with us and relates with us by leading and guiding us. We've talked over the past couple weeks about how knowing the triune God sets us free to genuinely love one another. And as we saw last week, to really consider the importance of true forgiveness and how important forgiveness is. And so today, as we continue on in thinking, why does it matter that we have a relationship with the triune God? And part of the answer is because of, because of the fact that we can be this light of the world. We can be the city that is set on a hill, as Jesus talks, as Jesus shares these words with his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount. In the same way, God calls us to live out our lives to be this light of the world and the city on a hill. And it couldn't come at a better time, this reminder, than during the holiday season. So in this passage, we're going to talk about how these two images, this idea of being recognizable, uh, how the city on a hill and the light of the world, it is recognizable. It is also purposeful. And finally, it's communal. And we're going to see those three descriptions within these three verses today. So first, what does it mean that a light in this world or a city set on a hill is something that is recognizable? And we see this starting at the very beginning of the passage. And so a couple observations in verse 14. Remember the context of this. This is the Sermon on the Mount. There are crowds and crowds of people gathered hearing Jesus kind of give this sermon up on this mountainside. Um, it's talked about how back then, because they didn't have amplification, like I'm speaking into a microphone right now, in the ancient Near East, if you were up on a mountain and you had rocks at your back, it would create this natural amplification so more and more people could hear what you were saying. Um, when I was in seminary, there was a trip that uh, my classmates took to Israel, and they visited different places that um, were part of like the history of the New Testament. And I didn't go because it was too expensive. I stayed home. But they told me if you stood up on the side of the mountain and someone spoke, you could hear them from quite a distance away because of the natural amplification. I know there's lots of brothers and sisters from our church on the Chinese side who have taken trips to Israel to see kind of these places where, you know, where Jesus ministered many years ago. And so the idea is there are crowds and crowds of people. This is also Matthew chapter 5. Matthew has 28 chapters. And it's not to say that the Gospels are perfectly chronological because sometimes they choose to focus on different events over others. But in the book of Matthew, this is relatively early on in Jesus's ministry. And that's important. And I think that's important because as he is preaching, there are crowds of people, but we also know that his disciples are sitting up front hearing all of his words. And so he has not died on the cross. He has not walked on water yet. He perhaps has performed a few miracles up to this point. Um, you could see that in the previous chapter in Matthew. But the point is the disciples are still trying to figure out who this Jesus guy is. And they've, given, they've made an active choice to follow him with their lives. But it's very curious that he says, you are the light of the world. 
It's pretty early on in their teacher-to-disciple relationship, right? And notice he doesn't say, hey, later on, after I die on the cross, after, you know, after I go up into heaven and after you are filled with the Holy Spirit, at that point, you will be the light of the world. He says, you are the light of the world. And what that means is at this point, at this moment, they are already having this effect on others. And I think part of that, you know, you could see how part of that comes true because, um, you know, for the disciples, they've, they've left their families to follow Jesus. That's an example that is noticeable and recognizable. And so it's, it's very curious that Jesus says this early on in their relationship already. You are the light of the world. Now, if we get into the specifics then of how they are the light of the world, what does that mean? And that's where the previous verses in this chapter help us out a ton. Um, if you've been attending our Vertigo Adult Fellowship Group on Wednesday nights, we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount in great detail. So some of this is probably familiar, although these several verses were several months back. But if we know the famous way that Jesus starts the Sermon on the Mount with what is called the Beatitudes, these statements that all start with blessed is, blessed are, et cetera, et cetera. We're going to read the whole thing. But if Jesus is helping the disciples understand what it means to be a light in this world, a city set on a hill, something that is recognizable, it's got to be based on these characteristics that we find in the immediate context. So if we go back and we just read these nine verses, starting in verse 3, they're very famous. We've heard them a lot. But it's good for us to hear these over and over again to consider the idea of what it means that we can be a light in this world. And what does Jesus say? He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Um, when, uh, when I was in seminary, uh, the main area of ministry that I was working, uh, serving in was our college ministry at the church I attended at the time. And we did a one entire like academic quarter-long weekly Bible study on just these nine verses. And I wish we could unpack all of these in great detail, but we don't have the time this morning. But if we can see what Jesus is doing as he starts, remember, he starts this sermon with crowds and crowds of people. Obviously, these words are very important. What he is doing is he is describing a different kind of world, a different kind of society. And that's got to be what it means when he says, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world when you live in this way. And a word that's often described, to, uh, often used to describe the Beatitudes is the word countercultural. I guess that's two words. It's, it's the word's countercultural. And we can see that's very different 
than what our world looks like today, where everything is earned, everything is based off of our effort, everything is based off of, you know, if uh, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, the way we often think about life, where what is fair, what is just, what is righteous, at least in our own eyes, Jesus has a very different picture of what it means to, be, to live in the kingdom of heaven. And so we may not literally be a light, you know, like we see on a Christmas tree or like we see in yards, but this is what Jesus is saying when it means we are the light of the world, when we live this way. We may not literally be on top of a hill, but there are tangible things that we do in how we live that demonstrate this light or demonstrate this picture where it is recognizable. Um, I saw a really incredible uh, example of this uh, just uh, during this um, particular college football season. If you know me, I'm a huge sports fan. And watching sports in a social media age where now there's so much money involved in everything has gotten really, really discouraging. Now that everything can be commented on on, uh, on Twitter or wherever where there's a comment section for literally everything in life where people just go crazy on each other in very negative ways, it's gotten really, it's gotten a lot harder for me to be a sports fan because it's just, I see, I see more cynicism about how everything's about money or everything's about, or it just brings, it can often bring out the worst in people. I'll say more about that in point number two about myself in a moment, but anyway. Uh, and so, um, in watching a game early this season, there were two schools. It was the University of Colorado and Colorado State, huge rivalry game. And if you know anything about football, it's obviously a very violent and physical game, but there's rules about when you're allowed to tackle someone or when you're allowed to hit someone. If the play's over, then you're not supposed to hit someone because that's against the rules and it can be dangerous. And in this case, uh, for a Colorado player who had caught the ball, Several seconds after he had run out of bounds and the whistle had blown, a player came and hit him so hard that he went to the hospital and had a lacerated liver. And he was out for uh, over a month. And he was one of the best players on that team. He had had a great start to the season. And it was a big deal where by someone breaking the rules, he then was going to miss more than a third of the whole season because of how bad his injury was. And you could say, that's not fair, that's against the rules, and this is what happened. University of Colorado football fans somehow, because we live in a social media age, found ways to tweet at the player who had hit them, including giving him death threats or threatening his family and things like that. And it shows just how dark our world is and how terrible we can be as humanity um, in this world. And so later on, I saw, you know, after watching kind of following some of the news about it because I'm a fan. Later on, several, several weeks later, I saw just in a headline and the, the names of the two players, Travis Hunter and Henry Blackburn, like video, and I thought, oh man, we don't need to see more of this. And what it was, was it was a video that they made together where they had somehow gotten together after this point. They had decided that they were going to do a bowling match against each other and the winner, uh, and then uh, people, could, um, people could come and participate for a small fee like, and go bowling with them because, I don't know, they're, they're college athletes, they're celebrities, or something along those lines. But the point was to raise money, and whoever won was going to pick which charity it would go to. And what happened was the injured player ended up winning the bowling match, so I guess he got his revenge in, at least in a small way. And then he decided to let the player who had hit him and injured him actually pick the charity of where all the money went. 
and it went to people who were suffering through, uh, to children who were dealing with different types of abuse in his community. And it, when you see that, it was like, wow, this is different than what we see of all the arguing in the comment section, of all the different negative things that we can see in this world. Here are two guys who something terrible happened in the course of the game who could come together. There could be a sense of forgiveness and relationship, and they could actually work together and do something that was very encouraging for their communities. And the whole point of that is to say, that's a great picture of what it looks like to be a light in this world or to be a city set on a hill because it's so different than what we see in society that it was recognizable. And that's what it means to be a light in this world, or that's what it means to be a city set on a hill. And when I was watching this follow-up video, I just found it so incredibly encouraging that there could be this picture of what this could be like um, in, the, in, a, in a state of uh, how the world really gets the best of our, um, our athletic competitions to these days. And so that's what it means when Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. It is recognizable. The second thing that we see is that it's also purposeful as well. And so let's go on in verse 15. And as Jesus explains what we see here from these images uh, of a lamp and a basket and a stand and giving light, he talks about the purpose, the purpose of what light is uh, to begin with. He says in verse 15, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. And I think what Jesus is trying to show is, look, we've talked about what the Beatitudes are like. We've talked about this different kind of society where we are merciful, where we are striving for righteousness, where we forgive one another. And when we don't do that, it's a way where we forget who we are. It's the same way where if we had these lights wired in this room, but every Sunday we were preaching in darkness, the purpose of the lights would be for nothing. It's why in the previous verse, back in verse 13, Jesus says, if salt has lost its saltiness, it then has no purpose. And so if we believe in Jesus as our Savior, if we've received this incredible grace and forgiveness from God, and we enjoy a living and thriving relationship with our God, then to not live in this way is to really forget our purpose and really forget who we are. Um, this past weekend, uh, not this weekend, the weekend before, uh, I was coaching uh, the Bret Hart girls basketball team in a holiday tournament, and we were fortunate enough to advance to the championship game. Um, I, had a, I had a really talented group uh, that I was coaching this season, and it was a lot of fun. And the championship game was very, uh, very intense, very close, very competitive. And one thing that I try to pride myself on as a coach, and it's definitely related to my relationship with God, but one thing I try to pride myself on as a coach is not arguing with the referees and just being a good, a good sport under all circumstances. But in the course of how competitive the game was, there were definitely times where my competitive side got the best of me. And for the first time in six years of coaching middle school basketball, I was warned by the referee that I needed to calm down. Hadn't happened before. And at that point, I was like, okay, I need to take a deep breath. And after the game, we lost a close one. It was, it was too bad. I had a great conversation with the referee after the game. We talked things out. And I actually thanked him for like, telling me that I needed to tone it down. And um, you know, uh, 
And when I was thinking about it over and over again, like later on, I actually cared less about the result of the game because it aided me that that would be kind of the behavior I was exhibiting in that moment. And the reason for that is for five and a half other basketball seasons, that's never been who I am. That's not who I am. And I think some of you are laughing and smiling because you're like, what? Dan, like someone had to tell Dan to calm down? It happens. It doesn't happen often, but it did happen this past Saturday. And in that moment, as a, as a basketball coach, I had forgotten who I was and who, you know, and the, the kind of the picture that I ask all of my players to also demonstrate as well. And so what Jesus is getting at here is if we, as his followers, if we don't live in this way that we see in this incredible picture of the kingdom of heaven in verses 3 through 12, I do think we experience some discomfort of not, of not acting of, as what is true, our true nature as his followers. And I would go even further to say that because I think deep down, if we are created in the image of God, I think a lot of the conflict that exists in our world, a lot of the negativity that exists in our world, is because we live in this worldly, transactional way that is not filled with grace, but is filled by, by fairness and equality and getting what, is, what we think belongs to ours. It's a very earthly way of living. And I've realized that any time I fall into kind of an earthly way of living or thinking about, I was like, but that's not fair. You have to call a foul like that, you know, and, and how I was acting in that moment. I had forgotten the kingdom of heaven in that moment. I had forgotten who I am. And I would hope that my faith kind of dictates who I am as a volunteer basketball coach as well. But more than that, it was, you know, it just, it felt very uncomfortable. And I think when we forget our purpose, it's the same way that Jesus says, like, look, you wouldn't put a light under a basket where there's no light coming out. That's not what it's for. And when we, as followers of Jesus, when we are not merciful, when we don't hunger for righteousness, we forget who we are. And I do think that either consciously or subconsciously, we lose sight, we, we kind of lose focus or lose sight of what's most important in life, or, or we don't feel like ourselves might be a better way of saying it. And so when Jesus is talking about the purpose of a lamp and a basket, he is trying to show how being a light in this world, being a city set on a hill, yes, it's recognizable, of course, but it's also very purposeful. God in his grace gives us this new purpose from knowing him to go and live out the kingdom of heaven as we see this description written at the start of the, of the, of the chapter that we're reading, chapter five. And when we forget that, I really do believe we don't feel like ourselves and we feel like something is wrong. We may not always recognize that consciously, but subconsciously, we can forget who we are in that moment. And that's why I think it's great that Jesus gives, uh, gives this instruction and gives this clarification as he's explaining to his disciples what it means to be a light in this world, to, be what, to, to demonstrate what it means to be a city set on a hill. And so we could see how this, these two images, we could see how recognizable they are. Um, based on thinking about what a light is, what something set on a hill is, and how that pertains to all the different Beatitudes that we read about at the start of chapter 5. And we can see the purpose coming from verse 15. And then finally, we also see how uh, being this light of the world, being a city that is set on a hill, it's also something that's meant to be done in community. And that's something that I think we lose sight of. Because if we think about our purpose as Christians, I think very easily we think about it individual, individualistically, where we think like, 
you know, it's my job to now be the city on a hill or to be a light of this world. And we could feel like it's something I have to do in order to, you know, fulfill my purpose as a Christian. And those are, you know, those are definitely true statements. But I think the thing we can often forget is that a lot of times we think we have to do it on our own. And I think when we consider the context and also the grammar of these three verses, we can see that we were never meant to live out our Christian faith on our own or just by ourselves. We are not meant to be like one single box up on the hill like we see up on Mount Ubinum without others that are like us, supporting us in that and living it out with us. And we can see this in multiple ways. Think about how many people Jesus is preaching to right now. When he says, you are the light of the world, he is not speaking to one person, he's speaking to a multitude. He's speaking to his disciples who are sitting in front of him and also to anyone else who's willing to listen. And so um, if you do a study uh, of this section, you will see that grammatically in the original language that it was written when Matthew was writing this in the language of Greek, you will see that every time he says you, he is using the plural form, not the singular form. He's using a plural form to refer to multiple people, right? So really, grammatically, in English, this is where we have trouble because the word you can be singular or plural, right? And then we, a lot of times when we read it in English, we don't understand the difference. But really, I remember Daniel preaching on this verse at a retreat many years ago. And I, the, what he, how he described this verse was what it really means from the original language is it's y'all, you all, right? We can get incredibly Southern at that point, all right? You know, Anne's from the South. I've heard her say y'all many times, and I like to say it sometimes as well if I'm talking to a group of people. You might even see it on youth group announcements, but the point is when Jesus is saying you, he's not looking at one person and then the rest of what his words don't apply to anyone else. So if I'm looking at Uncle Wesley right now, I'm like, you are the light of the world, that would be both incredibly blasphemous, but also just like, that means the rest of us can go do whatever we want. We don't have to share in the same purpose. But as Jesus is preaching about this, he is speaking to a crowd of people and anyone who wants to follow him and anyone who can grasp what the kingdom of heaven is about is meant to live this out as his follower. The only singulars you see are in description of the objects that are used as metaphors in this passage. So grammatically, when it says, uh, uh, nor, nor do people light a lamp, the lamp is sing singular, or put it under a basket, the basket is singular. But grammatically, Jesus is always speaking to a group. And what that means is, we don't have to go at it alone when it comes to living out what it looks like to be the light of this world, to be a city on a hill. It's something that we're all meant to do together. And that's an incredible picture of what the body of Christ is meant to be like. If I have this understanding where God has loved and accepted me so graciously in ways that I've described in, in previous weeks throughout this series, in, in our sermon series, if I have experienced the grace of Jesus Christ and knowing what it means to be forgiven, then it sets me free to be able to forgive others as well. And if I've had the, that experience and you all, because we're using the same gra grammar here, have had that experience as well, then that is so much more powerful than just one box that sits up on top of the hill. 
where if we all have this experience of the love of God and we live that out and we take to heart what it means to be a light in this world, to be a city on a hill, if we, had, if we, experienced, if we were living out our faith in a way where this Colorado and Colorado State football player were so incredibly gracious to one another, then people cannot help but notice. As I was talking to our, uh, one of the basketball coaches I coach with, who coaches a younger grade, and as we were watching one of the games, and I was watching some of our youth group members uh, who haven't come in a while, but I, I didn't, hadn't seen them play basketball before, as I was watching them thoroughly destroy our seventh grade team, I was like, oh man, like those, they both go to our church. And the coach looked at me and he said, how big is your church? I said, our church is not a, it's not a big place. It's, you know, if you count everyone up, including the kids, it's like, you know, somewhere between 100 to 200 people, including like all the kids and the Chinese side. It's in, in the, you know, in the course of like church sizes, we're not a big church. He said, well, it seems that way because a lot of times when you're talking about different kids that we see out here, you're saying, this person goes to my church, that person goes to my church. And in my mind, I was thinking, that's not that many. But what it actually did make me think about was how rare it is in Silicon Valley that people who are not believers hear about people going to church. And that's because it can be, this world can be an incredibly dark place when we don't live out our relationship with God. When the, when the, when the presence of Christians being the light in this world or a city set on a hill is not like where we forget our purpose or it's not being lived out. And it is very challenging in Silicon Valley that is shaped by very different values. You could even argue completely opposite values than Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 through 12. But when we live out who we are as believers in Christ, people notice, people take notice. It is recognizable. It's also purposeful. And it's something that we're able to do together. Um, if, uh, if, if I'm going to, if I'm going to share an example of how I feel like I didn't live this out in being rebuked by a basketball referee, I also want to share a positive example of how I felt like I experienced this passage, even just this week. Many times when Daniel and I talk about uh, our sermons and how we prepare, it's not only understanding the passage or thinking about how we're going to explain it. What's even more important is how did we experience the truths that we're reading this week? And as I was thinking about the joy that I have from being able to serve with uh, our youth counselors on Friday night or study the Bible together with other, other people in our church and the ways that we can spur one another on towards love and good deeds, um, this, week I was, uh, this week I was kind of pulled aside on campus uh, after basketball practice by one of the other teachers who will remain nameless because, you know, some of you go to Bret Hart, so we'll keep anonymity here for multiple reasons. But anyway, um, this teacher is also a believer in Christ, and they know that I am as well. And there's very strict rules you have to follow when you're working in a public school about what you can and cannot say, um, and that's understandable, and I, I do adhere to those rules. But um, he, was, he was saying, hey, like, I've, you know, I've, I've, I've heard you and the other coaches and, you know, as you're kind of leading the, the teams and, and coaching them, but also encouraging them. And I just want to say you're doing a great job. And I could say, like, from feedback I've gotten from this person, from, from the students, like, that that teacher is also doing a good job living out their faith and being, you know, filled with purpose in a public school kind of way where they really take their work seriously, but um, the, the whole driving force behind it is their relationship with God. 
And we were able to encourage one another in that moment. And just to say, like, just to share kind of the, the blessing of knowing that, hey, in this moment, we're on the same team. And that's something, that's a conversation that really stood out to me in the course of the busyness of the week where it was like, hey, that's what it means that we are all running this race together to be the light of the world and to be a city set on a hill. Um, I want to end by sharing an opportunity that we have this holiday season. And um, as, we've, as uh, some of us have thought about the holidays, we had a great parent appreciation um, for our youth and uh, elementary age parents um, right before the Thanksgiving season where we wanted to be thankful for our parents and um, just be able to uh, just celebrate them in that way. And we'll have a lot of holiday gatherings that take place. But really, if we're going to be a city that's set on a hill, if we're going to be the light of this world, the ways that we encourage, uh, that we live out our faith cannot only be limited to within the walls of our own church. And as great as the parent appreciation night was, as we were considering how we're thankful for our family relationships, it did lead a lot of us to both students and parents to kind of ask the question, well, how can, how can we be supportive and encouraging of those who may not be in great situations these, these holiday seasons? And some of those conversations are still ongoing, but I wanted to point to an opportunity that, um, that Anne has found for us. Um, it's with a ministry called Angel Tree, and what they do is they try to gather um, resources and donations um, for families who are affected by um, a parent being incarcerated. It's a, prison, it's a prison ministry um, that tries to support families who um, may not get to celebrate holidays in the ways that we do because of their current family situation. And as I was reading some of the descriptions on the website, it just, it kind of became heartbreaking that for some kids in this world, they don't receive Christmas gifts each year because of their family situation. And there's ways where God has blessed us in so many ways where we might be able to help like give and, and be loving towards those who are in a difficult situation during the holidays. And so um, if you look on that table over there or back here where the lunch is, um, Anne's uh, put together a couple of um, ways that you can, um, there's a QR code so you can look up more information or how you might be able to donate or participate. If you've got more questions, you can um, you could talk to Daniel or I, but really talk to Anne first because she's the one who's kind of uh, done all the, all the digging to figure out how we could do this. And, um, you know, as I was preparing this message this week and receiving emails from, from her about what it could look like, you know, I thought for if you're a child who didn't receive a Christmas gift last Christmas, and then this year you do, like, that's recognizable. Like, that stands out. That's, that's different. That's what it means to experience that there is a light in this world that ultimately comes from the fact that we know our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And if that's the case, then we want to be a light in this world. We want to be a city that's set on a hill where we can make a difference in this world. And people can see that, that this world is not just about greed, it's not just about promotions, it's not just about achievement, but it's also about caring for each other as well. And it's rooted in the ways that Jesus has cared for us so, um, so purposefully. And so if that's something you're interested in, like I said, the information is on either side. You could talk to Anne as well. And I think it's, it's one of many ways that we have an opportunity to really be the light of the world or to be a city that's set on the hill this holiday season. So that's a great opportunity. 
Um, but I'm really thankful that as we've considered how gracious God has been with us, how Jesus forgives us over and over again, how the Holy Spirit is with us moment by moment, leading and guiding us, that there can be real and tangible ways that we can be the light of this world during this holiday season. Let's pray together. God, we thank you, Lord, that um, God, though we can often experience darkness in, in many different ways because we live in a broken and fallen world. Lord, we thank you for your great love for us, that we have a place like this to worship you. God, that you've placed us in the body of Christ where we can love and encourage our brothers and sisters around us. And so God, I also pray, Lord, that if there are ways that you are calling, if there are specific ways that you are putting upon our hearts right now in this moment, to live out the ways that, um, God, that you are our Savior. Lord, I pray that we would be uh, open to um, how you are leading and guiding us, that we would hear your voice, that we would also be obedient. Um, and so, Lord, if being a light in this world, if, if living out our relationship with you looks like um, finding forgiveness in a difficult relationship that we have going in our lives right now, or if it means looking at ways that we can look outside of just our own day-to-day -day and consider how, how you might be leading and guiding us to love and care for someone else in this world. God, I pray that we could see the purpose and the goodness of being a light in this world. And Lord, I truly believe that when our lives are focused on caring for others, God, that is when we feel the most like ourselves, that is when we feel the most fulfilled. And God, the, the areas where we may uh, just feel like we are not ourselves, where we are not at ease, God, I pray that you would show us the purpose that you have for us to be a light in this world, to be a city set on the hill, to live out what the kingdom of heaven looks like as you've described to us in your word and also as you reveal to us um, through your Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, we just, we thank you that you are so gracious with us, that we could experience your love. And God, we just ask that you would be showing us how we could show this love to others as well. As we sing this last song together this morning, God, I just, I pray that you would encourage our hearts and that that would um, lead us and guide us um, to how you might be moving us this morning. So we thank you for this time. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name.